y'all. Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. When we ended the last episode, the religious leaders were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that would make the crowds of his admirers turn on him, or at least find a way to capture him when he was in private so the crowds couldn't interfere. They kept failing spectacularly, and it was a lot of fun. Eventually, both of those things would happen, or, you know, are going to happen later in the story, but first, only one admirer would turn on Jesus. Meanwhile, Jesus was anticipating the plans of the religious leaders and avoiding them, although he did plan to let them get him soon. Why, you may ask? Because of his secret magic plan to fix all of humanity, but I'll get to that in a bit. The high priest Caiaphas and the other religious leaders didn't know about the secret plan, and they were getting angry and desperate. They had gathered together to try to find some way, any way, of capturing Jesus, and then someone walked into their meeting and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand Jesus over to you? That someone was one of Jesus' closest friends, Judas Iscariot. You may remember that Judas was the disciple responsible for keeping the money bag. He was also the one who had complained about Mary's gift of perfume to Jesus just before they all came to Jerusalem. And now he was betraying Jesus. Why would Judas do this? No one knows for sure. Some people say he was greedy and looking for money. After all, one of the Gospels does say he liked to steal money from the group's money bag. Some people think that Judas, like many of the people, wanted Jesus to make himself king and fight against the Romans, and he was angry that Jesus was not planning to do that. Others think that maybe Jesus had secretly told him to do this. After all, although the story says that Judas betrayed Jesus, it's kind of convenient that his betrayal ended up setting in motion the very things Jesus had already been telling his disciples would happen. Whatever his reasons were, Judas was offering to make a deal with the chief priests to hand Jesus over to them, and they were very happy to agree. They settled on a price and a plan. They would give Judas 30 silver coins, and Judas would watch for an opportunity, a time when Jesus was alone away from the crowds. Then Judas would go and tell the religious leaders, and they would send the temple guards to arrest Jesus and bring him to them. Judas did not have to wait long, because that night, Jesus and his disciples made preparations to eat the Passover meal together. The Passover is an important Jewish holiday, and Jewish people still celebrate it to this very day. The meal on the first night is known as the Passover Seder. Jesus wanted to have a special place to gather with only his disciples and celebrate the Seder. Jesus told his disciples, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. When he gets to a house, talk to the person who owns the house and say, The teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So kind of like when they took the donkey, I guess this was just okay and this person was completely chill with Jesus using their house. Apparently so. Jesus seems to have magic for this kind of thing. So in the evening, Jesus and his 12 disciples were gathered in an upstairs room in the house Jesus had selected and they all lay down and reclined at the table together. When it was time to drink, Jesus took the special Passover bread, which is called matzo, and is more like what we might think of as a large cracker. He broke it and said, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. And he passed it to those sitting on either side of them so they could break off a piece and pass it on to the next person. Next, Jesus took a large cup filled with wine. He passed it to his disciples and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, sealing the new promise between God and people. It's poured out to forgive the sins of many people. Mark my words, I will not drink this wine again until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pause for a second and talk about what Jesus was doing. Because it's kind of important, you know, to the whole religion of Christianity. So he had told his disciples several times that he planned to go to Jerusalem and be arrested and killed and then come back to life. 
Now, in this Passover meal, he was telling them his body and blood would provide a way for people to be forgiven of their sins. Back in episode 22, we talked about how when someone sinned or displeased God, they would need to make a sacrifice. The conservative Christian belief is that sin is something against God rules that damages your relationship with God, kind of the way stealing your si- from your sibling's secret bubblegum stash could damage your relationship with your sibling. Um, only I would forgive my brother after he apologized or, you know, maybe repaid me some gum if I was like really mad. But the Christian belief is that God's forgiveness is harder to come by because God is just so just that he doesn't forgive you easily. Um, so the way Christians interpreted old Jewish traditions is that they would kill a lamb or some other animal and burn it on the altar to God and their sins would be forgiven because something had died to pay for the sin. The belief the Christian belief is that death is required to pay for sin. Um, and uh, John the Baptist had called Jesus the Lamb. I say the Christian belief, just like one specific. Not all Christians believe that. But anyway, John the Baptist had called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus believed that as the Messiah, as the Son of God, he would offer himself like a lamb for sacrifice. And then when he died, that would make a way for everyone to be kicked forgiven of their sins forever, and they would not need to offer their own sacrifices ever again. And that's why he'd come to Jerusalem when the religious leaders were looking frantically for a way to kill him. It was his plan to allow them to kill him when the time was right, and then, since he was the Son of God and all, he would come back to life. So that's what Jesus is thinking in our story. The belief in Jesus as a sacrificial lamb is one of the most basic beliefs of most versions of Christianity. Basically, the belief is that Jesus' death fixed the relationship between humans and God. It couldn't have been done by just anyone dying, though. It needed to be the Son of God. Most Christians believe that Jesus was both human and God at the same time, so that would make his death, like, extra special and less permanent. Um, For a long time, the Jewish religion was centered on the temple. That was where the people would gather for festivals like Passover, and it was where the priests would offer sacrifices for people to have their sins taken away. Once a year, the high priest, which during this time was Caiaphas, would go into the special area of the temple that was normally off-limits called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies, and would offer a sacrifice to cover the sins of the whole nation. Thoroughly Christians rejected having a temple and offering sacrifices. They believed that Jesus was the final sacrifice and that now people could meet God wherever they were. Although, of course, they're still supposed to go to church and all that. It's interesting because the Jewish religion itself was also moving away from the temple and sacrifices. During this time, people were meeting to worship God in local buildings called synagogues. And the rabbis or teachers who explained the Bible to people were becoming more important. While the priests and the sacrifices were becoming less important. So actually, there's a lot of similarities between Jesus and some of the other religious leaders of the day, uh, as we've kept pointing out. But the idea of Jesus being the Son of God and the Lamb of God is sort of the core teaching that made Christianity a whole new religion instead of just being part of Judaism. So back to the story. Uh, Sorry for all the segues, but this is like fundamental Christianity 101 stuff, and I kind of want my kids to know it. so that's why I've, I've put it all in there. Also, it's kind of, it's kind of like important to the story, even though um, people raised in Christianity would always know all that from almost birth, because <laughs> um, it gets talked about a lot. Anyway, back to the story. Jesus passed around the cup, telling each of the disciples to drink from it as it represented his blood. And so they all drank from the cup. And this meal, the the little breads and the, and the wine, of course, 
our church didn't do wine, they did grape juice. But anyway, this meal is called the Last Supper, and Christians still perform this ritual of bread and wine, or grape juice, that Jesus gave his disciples. Some Christians call it the Eucharist, or communion, or the Lord's Supper. My church called it communion. Um, anyway, it's it's still something that a, that a lot of Christians do today. Uh, anyway, Jesus knew that the time was almost here for his plan to be set in motion. He loved his disciples, and he wanted to let them know how much he loved them. After they'd finished eating the bread and drinking the wine, Jesus got up from the table, poured water into a container, and began to go around to each of the disciples and wash their feet. Socks and shoes were not a thing back then in this part of the world. People usually wore sandals on their feet, so people's feet could get dirty and stinky. To wash someone else's feet was not something that friends usually did for each other. It was something that slaves would do for their rich masters. So the disciples were really shocked to see Jesus, the leader of their group, kneeling down and scrubbing all their feet one by one. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter spoke up, as Peter generally does, because he felt Jesus was doing something that he was too important to do. And he said, Master, you shouldn't be washing our feet like this. And Jesus said, you don't understand why I'm doing this, but someday you will. And Peter said, no, you can never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of what I'm doing. So Peter said, oh, well, if that's the case, don't stop with washing my feet. Wash my hands and my head, too. And Jesus probably smiled at him. Peter was always all in. He never wanted to do anything halfway. He may not have understood why Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, but if that's what they needed, Peter wanted as much of it as he could get. Jesus said, when someone has recently taken a bath, they just need to have their feet washed to be all clean again. You are clean, but that isn't true of everyone here. Now Jesus is using clean as a figure of speech, a metaphor, to mean that his disciples had pure love for him, but he knew one of them planned to betray him and thus was not clean. You can't see my air quotes. Jesus finished washing the disciples' feet and lay down at the table, and then he said to them, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. And they all began to talk at once. Some were shocked, some were sad. How could one of them betray Jesus? One after the other, they began to say, Surely not I, Lord. The disciple who was lying down closest to Jesus was John, who the Gospel of John calls the disciple Jesus loved. So Peter got John's attention and was like, um, John, ask him which one of us he means. Like when you're like, you know, to your youngest sibling, you're like, you ask mom for ice cream because you're the cutest. Um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe like that. So John lay back against Jesus and said, Lord, who is it that will betray you? Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. And then he dipped the piece of bread and he gave it to Judas Iscariot. And one of the gospels says that at that moment that Judas took the bread, Satan, the greatest of the evil spirits who rebels against God, entered into him. And then Judas looked at Jesus and said, Surely not I, Rabbi, even though, you know, he'd already done the whole thing with the religious leaders. And Jesus said, Yes, it's you. What you're about to do, do quickly. Immediately, Judas got up from the table, left the house, and disappeared into the night. Somehow, none of the disciples understood what had happened. It was as if some magic were preventing them from realizing that Jesus had just singled out Judas as the betrayer. They knew Jesus was in charge of the money, so some of them thought that Jesus was telling him to go buy more supplies for the meal or to give some money to the poor. When Judas was gone, Jesus said, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, but where I am going, you cannot come. And so I'm giving you a new command now. Love each other just as much as I love you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you're my disciples. 
And Simon Peter said, uh, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow me, but you'll follow later. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows this morning, you will say three times that you don't even know me. Then Jesus reminded the disciples about a time he had sent them out on their own for a while to tell people about him. He had not given them any money or food or extra clothes for the trip, telling them God would provide for their needs. When I sent you out to preach the good news, he said, and you didn't have money or a bag or extra clothes, how do you get along? And they said, well, we got along fine. Jesus said, but now everything's about to change. The time that's coming won't be peaceful. This is a time for people to keep their bags with them and guard their money and buy a sword if they don't have one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to, to come true. The one that says he will be condemned as a criminal. Yes, everything the prophet said would happen to me is about to happen. And the disciples said, uh, well, Lord, we've got two swords. And Jesus said, that's enough. Shortly afterwards, Jesus and the disciples sang a hymn. And then they left the house and walked out of Jerusalem to a nearby hill called the Mount of Olives. It was a place they all knew well. Jesus often went there to pray in the quiet of the olive trees. As they walked, Jesus told them, This very night you will all leave me. It's written in the scriptures, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Peter was still sure that Jesus was wrong, at least about him. He said, Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Jesus turned and looked at him and he said, Again, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you don't even know me. But Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will not disown you. And all the other disciples said, oh yeah, absolutely, me too, definitely. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus and the disciples entered a garden that was called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. Leaving most of the disciples behind, he took with him the ones who were his very closest friends, Simon Peter and the brothers James and John. Jesus felt sad and afraid about the events that were about to happen. Even though it was part of his plan to become the sacrificial lamb of God, he knew it was going to hurt, and he would have to face it alone. He told his closest friends, My soul is crushed with horror and sadness to the point of death. Stay here and stay awake with me. He went a little further into the garden, and he prayed to God, his father, asking if he could be spared from the terrible things that would happen, even though he knew that his prayer would not be answered. When he came back to Peter, James, and John, he found they had fallen asleep. He woke them up, and they were embarrassed at having fallen asleep, but also they were really tired. This happened a couple more times. Jesus would go off to pray. They would fall asleep. He would come back and wake them up because he just didn't want to be alone. But the last time, as Jesus shook them awake, Peter, James, and John realized something was off. The Garden of Gethsemane was always quiet and still at night, but now they could hear the sounds of approaching feet. As they rubbed their eyes, they could see a dim light that was growing steadily brighter as it approached. Are you still sleeping and resting? Jesus asked. Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, he and the disciples were suddenly engulfed in torchlight as a large crowd marched into the garden and surrounded them. They were temple guards, the servants of the high priest, and they came armed with swords and clubs, and marching at the head of them, was someone the disciples knew very well. And I'm sure you know who it was too, Judas Iscariot. As I've already mentioned, all the disciples knew this garden very, very well, including Judas. And so Judas knew or guessed that Jesus would go here after the Last Supper. 
So when Judas had left the upstairs room, he went to the high priest and fulfilled his end of the bargain. Jesus would be at the Mount of Olives. He would be alone except for his closest followers, and it would be easy to overpower them. Now all they needed was to be sure of who they were arresting. It would be dark, and even armed with torches, it could be easy to grab the wrong person. So Jesus arranged a signal with the temple guards. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So now in the torchlight, as the other disciples still frantically tried to rub the sleep from their eyes, Judas walked straight up to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he said, and he gave Jesus a kiss. And Jesus stood still, not flinching. Judas, he said, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Then Judas stepped away, and Jesus stepped forward toward the crowd. Who is it you want? he said loudly. They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. Like, they didn't even have to worry with the whole secret signal thing. Jesus said, I am he, and as he spoke the words, it was as if the ground shook beneath them. The entire crowd, Ju Judas included, fell backwards to the ground. Jesus asked them again, who is it you want? A bit more shakily this time, they said, Jesus of Nazareth? I told you that I am he, Jesus said. If you're looking for me, let the others go. You remember how the disciples had told Jesus at dinner that they had two swords? Well, Simon Peter had one of them. That probably doesn't shock you. And he shouted out, Lord, is it time for us to use our swords? And he drew his sword and he attacked the crowd. The good news is he didn't kill anyone. The bad news is he did hit one of the high priest's servants, a man named Malchus, on the side of the head and cut off his ear. There was about to be a big fight, but Jesus, who had used his voice to calm a storm on the Sea of Galilee, now used it to calm the crowd. He shouted, no more of this. And Peter and everyone else just stopped. Jesus told Peter, put your sword away, for those who draw by the sword will die by the sword. Shall I not drink the cup of suffering my father has given me? Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? But if I did, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what is happening now? And then he reached down and picked up the ear Ew. that Peter had, you know, cut off and he put it back on the man's head and healed him. And then Jesus spoke to the crowd, Am I a dangerous criminal that you had to arm yourselves with swords and clubs in order to arrest me? I was teaching every day in the temple and you didn't arrest me then, but this is your hour when darkness reigns. Then the temple guards arrested him. Uh, I don't know if they started to try to arrest the disciples or not, but you know how sometimes you hear about humans having a fight or flight or freeze response in times of crisis? Well, most of the disciples had frozen at first. Peter had tried fighting, and it was useless, so now he and the other disciples all turned and ran for their lives as fast as they could. And if you'll remember, that's exactly what Jesus had said would happen. And that's where we're going to stop for today. Next time, Jesus stands trial before the religious leaders, alone. Thanks for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Our theme music for now is Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, star child.